in recent years, prescribing rates of medications doubled for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for both children and adults. But even so, the rate of prescribing was still below what's thought to be the prevalence of the condition. Certainly, anecdotally, you hear of more and more adults being diagnosed and treated. But to what extent are those who really need help getting access to what can be expensive, high-quality assessment and appropriate care? Health Report producer Shelby Trainer has been investigating. You spend a lot of time looking at yourself being like, this doesn't seem hard for everyone else and I'm not stupid, so why am I struggling so much to get through day-to-day things or keep track of really basic tasks that I've been doing every week for years of my life? Shelby, just explain who Narika is. So Narika is a 34-year-old woman. Uh, She was diagnosed about a year ago, and she's been on medication for a year. She's one of the 1 in 20 Australians who have ADHD and one of the many adults who are now coming forward to be diagnosed after experiencing symptoms for much of their life. ADHD was seen as mostly a childhood disorder, but now it's more and more being seen as an adult disorder as well. Yeah, and the flow through is what, like 40 or 50% from childhood. So you've had it in childhood and about 40 or 50% end up with it in adulthood. Yeah, it's... The statistics vary. Some say it's about 15%. Others say it's about 50% who experience symptoms into adulthood. And the population prevalence is uh, something like 3, 4, 5%. It varies a lot. Yeah. Again, it varies. Children, it's about 5 to 7% and adults, about 2 to 4%. But the main statistic is 3% of adults will have ADHD. And you spoke to a psychiatrist about this. So I spoke to Dr. Dorgaval Kaitan, who heads the Sydney International ADHD Centre, about what kind of impact ADHD has on adults in particular. Most of the time, untreated ADHD people, they function well below their full capacity, not because of intelligence, but because of the ADHD symptoms, such as lack of focus, short-term memory, procrastination, etc., which makes it hard for them, first, to get started, second, stay on the task and finish the task. So, I mean, what we're talking about here is a spectrum disorder. So we all have inattention at times to time. We all can be impulsive, but it's on a spectrum. And the question is, for a clinician, presumably, deciding where on the spectrum you are, whether you cross the line into having a problem. Yeah, so it needs to have a significant impact on your life which is why it's often picked up in school-aged children, because they can't pay attention, maybe sometimes they're acting out, they're not doing as well as they'd be expected to. And with adults, that's usually seen through work. There are different types of ADHD, though. There's the impulsive hyperactive type, where those Which is traits... a stereotypical one. Yes, that's and the more young... likely to be in boys than girls. Yes, that's the young boy acting out at school, usually picked up by teachers and their parents. Then you've got the inattentive, distractive type. But most people have a combination of those. Most people have varying symptoms from each of those types. And the other thing is inability to complete tasks. But it's an incredibly mixed picture. And I think that what people forget is that ADHD is really a construct that a group of American psychiatrists got. They said that you've got this aggregation statistically of symptoms here. And it's created a bit of a messiness in terms of diagnosis. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of overlap with comorbidities as well. So it, it can be really difficult to pick up, and especially in adults and especially in adult women because they present differently. And that was definitely the case for Narika. I started reading all this stuff that I had no idea was linked to ADHD, like the fact you can hyperfixate on things and neglect normal stuff, like just get sucked into something and forget to eat or not hear people speaking to you because you're focused on something. And I related to all these things and was like, huh, I think maybe I have that, but didn't learn enough to have any idea that it was impacting my life. Now you hear anecdotally that there are more and more adults coming forward for this diagnosis, even quite late in life. What in a sense was Narika's journey here? Yeah, so she actually probably 10 years ago said that she'd looked into ADHD and like she just said, she noticed some of these traits in herself, but she didn't really think about it. Then about a year ago, she was living with somebody else with ADHD who started to point out to her some of the things that she was doing that were very, very familiar to her. So that's when Narika decided to see a psychologist for an assessment. That psychologist said there had been an increase in adults seeking treatment, but they put that down to awareness. They said more people are learning about the symptoms, more people are coming forward. Dr. Katan said that's what he's seen at his practice as well. There's an influx of people and he's put it down to the media. The media can help a lot because if you broadcast information about any medical condition, including ADHD, it encourages people to come forward. They may stop think, well, it's not just me. There are other people with the same problems that may have a solution. So Narika didn't think there was a solution until she saw a video online. I think it was a girl in her 20s and it was her first day on medication and she filmed herself before and was like, well, I don't really have much hope for this, but let's see. And then it was like, a second clip she'd taken, she was on the verge of tears and was like, I feel like all the noise in my brain just shut up. Is this what other people feel like all the time? And that for me was like, I've always known there's a whole lot bouncing around in my head and the thought that that could go away was like, okay, I really want to know if this is something that could be helped. Which was obviously good news for Narika. But the media can create a problem, as you can create demand and you can, be, you can misunderstand that you may not have the condition and you create false demand. I mean, I did a Four Corners on this many years ago and what I found was that you, there were children with ADHD who were not being treated, children who did not have ADHD who were being treated for it and there was just general confusion and you had hot spots around Australia where you had very high rates of diagnosis, higher than the actual prevalence. And I think that the Safety and Quality Commission showed that for under 17-year-olds that situation still exists. There's a lot of variation. There was about a 30% increase in prescriptions for under 17-year-olds across the country, um, and that was the four years leading up to 2017. They, however, didn't point out whether that was just due to more people being diagnosed or if that was because there was misdiagnosis or abuse. Obviously, stimulants, they're most widely used for ADHD and they can be very effective. They're usually effective for about 70% of people with ADHD, but they can be abused and they do have side effects such as loss of appetite, mood changes. They can increase or even lower your blood pressure. So they need to be heavily regulated, and they are, but the state and territory restrictions 
are very different. And at the end of the day, it is down to the psychiatrist or the paediatrician to make a call. So there's a lot of variation. In fact, there's been talk that does methylphenidate, with a brand, brand name is called Ritalin, cause an increase in psychosis. And the, the balance of information seems to be no, it doesn't. But some people who may have ADHD or can be drug users, and if they're on amphetamines already, then you, that could be the problem rather than the Ritalin itself. So I, I asked Nareka what her experience was like and whether she thought it was really thorough enough to be diagnosed and then given medication. I've heard really varying reports from other people. So I know people who literally go to someone, barely get asked anything and get prescribed medication. The psychiatrist I saw was really thorough in the sense that he felt he recognised it in me within the first 20 minutes and was really validating and even though I had a full report from a clinical psychologist who specialises in ADHD, he said, I do the assessment myself. And so it took us four sessions to run through the proper assessment, but then also run through other mental health things for him to make a decision about prescribing medication. So what about, Shelby, this issue of overdiagnosis, underdiagnosis, or what we found many years ago with, with the Four Corners was, in a sense, misdiagnosis, that you weren't necessarily directing the treatment to the right people. It's really difficult to determine because it is down to the psychiatrist to make a decision. And there is no test that's decisive to say that you have ADHD. There's no brain scan, you know, there's no blood test. It's down to symptoms and the psychiatrist has to make the call. And of course, that will vary from psychiatrist to psychiatrist, which that's been suggested as to be one of the reasons there might be disparities depending on location. I spoke to a prominent voice of ADHD in Australia, Dr. Michelle Toner. She's an ADHD coach, um, and she also has a lot of experience dealing with adults with ADHD. I asked her what her opinion was about whether the disorder is being overdiagnosed. In Western Australia, we have been keeping unidentified data on people diagnosed with ADHD. So we know that currently fewer than 1% of adults in Western Australia are taking medication for ADHD. And if you look at the prevalence rate that we know exists in the world for ADHD, if you look at the conservative prevalence rate, that would be 4%. So ADHD is very underdiagnosed, particularly in adults. And there has been a myth um, perpetrated by the media that there's been overdiagnosis of ADHD, where the facts and figures show differently. There's no opinion about it. And I think there are published data internationally about underdiagnosis rather than overdiagnosis. But that doesn't mean to say that the diagnosis rate is evenly spread across Australia, because you've actually got to have money in your pocket to be able to get the diagnosis and treatment. Yes, exactly. And you have to have the ability to navigate a really confusing system as well. So I looked at that data that Dr. Toner mentioned from the WA Health Department. There and it should be said, the background to the WA Health Department data is that WA was a hotspot for childhood um, ADHD prescribing many years ago. Yeah. So it kind of yeah. dates back to that, but carry on, sorry. Yeah, which is exactly why they looked at it with such detail, which is great for us. There were 26,000 patients receiving treatment in WA's metro areas compared with 5,000 in the country. And that matches up with a study from 2007, which found 
that in metro areas, prescription rates were something like two to five times greater than in remote and very remote areas. So there are disparities depending on location and access to treatment. There's also disparities with gender. Boys and men are much more likely to be diagnosed. For Nareka, looking back, she's actually surprised by this, looking back at her school reports, especially after both the psychologist and her psychiatrist confirmed her suspicions. I thought I was going to have to prove something because they definitely want to look into, they need to see a history that it's something that has been there since you were young and in school early on. And then they both very quickly were like, we can very much see that this is the case for you. And I think the fact that it seemed obvious to them, it really hit me that there was no doubt anymore. And then I kind of got hit with like, how was this not seen? A lot of personal cost involved. It, it is a huge personal cost, especially for people like Nareka, who are being diagnosed in their 30s. You think about going through school, going through university and entering the job market, not being treated for something that can have a really severe impact. There's less awareness about how this presents for adults and adult females in particular. It's thought that males are more likely to externalise these symptoms with rule-breaking, maybe aggression, whereas females are more likely to internalise it with anxiety. And that's another issue is ADHD can be masked by other mental health issues. Sometimes they are being treated for depression and anxiety for a long time before the ADHD is often stumbled upon. But what they're missing on often is education. At school, they're not able to access the curriculum. They get to university and they're dropping out of university and they're often underemployed and working in roles for which they're really overqualified or or way too intelligent and feeling very unfulfilled in life. I mean, the underlying theme here is there's just a messiness in all this, in the definition, in how they're evaluating it. So not obviously, you know, costs to society, as well as well as the personal cost of actually getting a consult. Yeah, personal cost and economic cost as well. Cost per patient per year would be $25,000. If you have uh, one million people uh, with ADHD, so the cost will go up to about $22 billion. Obviously, big money there if you accept that. I mean, and I, and I must preface this by saying there are almost no randomised trials here of this treatment in adults, so not very many in children either. So you've got to take it on trust that this is it's kind of a, you, you are your own experiment in a sense. It's very anecdotal, but I suppose, as Narika mentioned with the video that she watched, there are pretty stark differences, pre-medication, post-medication. That's what I mean. If you get the benefit, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And just briefly, what are, what are some of the solutions offered here to get more access to you know, high-quality assessment? So I spoke to Dr. Katan about that. And he said, of course, the cost is massive for people seeing a psychiatrist. It can be up to $800 and you probably get a couple hundred of that back. Um, and that's only in the initial appointment. If a psychiatrist does want to do due diligence and do multiple appointments, that could leave you out of pocket $1,200. The cost, yes, it is a problem. And uh, some people cannot afford. That's reality. 
That's why I think that the public service should offer this service to the community. So Dr. Keitan has suggested we could upskill other psychiatrists because, of course, some psychiatrists do not treat ADHD. He suggested because there's a shortfall of psychiatrists and there's such a demand that they could be upskills to diagnose. He also says that GPs may be able to have greater control. And once you are diagnosed, ADHD is not on the NDIS. So certain people can't get financial support to be able to get the care that they may need, including maybe an ADHD coach like Dr. Tona to help them navigate life with their different brain, essentially. Society needs people who think outside the box. And if we're telling those people they are lazy and I'm not trying hard enough to actually fit in with the world, then we're, we're doing ourselves a great disservice. So bottom line here, we're probably not seeing a genuine rise in ADHD. It's just like an increased awareness. There is help available. It's got to be carefully assessed, but um, you know, you'd open up your wallet probably. Yes. It is going and to be not everybody can. No, exactly. That's that's where there's a disparity, and that's why Dr. Katan has said maybe the public service could step up to help. But yeah, it can be life changing for people who benefit from medication. The diagnosis helped in terms of validation hugely, but prior to the diagnosis, kind of assuming that it was true about myself and learning what it meant was very helpful incorrecting a lot of stuff that I felt like had given me really low self-esteem because it was a bit of a, oh, there are these things that are difficult for me and it's not necessarily because I'm a shit human. Like, it's actually just different for my brain than it might be for someone else. So that kind of takes away, like, the personal failing aspect of it, which I think then gave me a lot more confidence to be like, oh, I just, I'm going to need different processes. It was great for Narika to have the guts to talk to us and we're inviting comments from you, our audience, on your experience of ADHD in whatever sense. We will follow this up in future health reports. Shelby, thanks very much for putting that together for us. No problem, thanks. This is the Health Report. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.